Well, good morning again. Uh, really glad that you're here. And uh, we are a brand new church. We started our first public worship service in August. Um, so we're not even, a, not even a year old. And we've seen God do some things <laughs> in and through this congregation. And today is a, is a big, big day of celebration of some of the things that uh, he's been doing. Um, so we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 over the last few weeks, more than a few, um, probably the last 16 weeks, and uh, we're, we're starting to wrap it up. We've got this sermon and next week, and then uh, we'll be done uh, with this series. But um, we early on looked at Matthew 5.20, just here on the screen behind me, as a real key verse for understanding this uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches. And uh, that verse is, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that, that statement has a lot of layers to it. But one of the things that Jesus was saying through that statement was that the righteousness that he wants to see in the kingdom is both an inward righteousness and an outward righteousness. And a few weeks ago, I used this house analogy that um, I borrowed from this workbook called Be Transformed. It's out of uh, some materials from Scope Ministries, and uh, it helps, I think, understand maybe some of the outward, inward stuff that is going on in the human being. And so you have uh, thoughts and feelings that are going on in, in the inward life, and those are spilling out into words and actions. Um, and what we understand as Christians is all those things are coming from beliefs in the basement. Uh, and so those are sometimes beliefs that we're aware of and sometimes beliefs we're not aware of. And one of the ways that we can figure out what the beliefs are in the basement is to consider what the thoughts, feelings, and actions are on the top. And we can kind of trace ourselves, trace the beliefs back down in the basement from reflecting on our feelings and our actions and our thoughts. And I think it's not the only way to look at the Sermon on the Mount, but it is one of the ways that helps me understand some of what Jesus is doing. Uh, on one hand, he's confronting a lot of negative thoughts and feelings uh, and actions, and he confronts destructive anger. He, can, uh, he confronts dehumanizing lust. Uh, he confronts manipulating with the use of our words. He confronts religious hypocrisy when he talks about giving and praying uh, and fasting only to be seen by people. Uh, he confronts anxious hoarding of material wealth. Uh, he confronts, and this is last week's sermon that Christian did, uh, judgmentalism. And so all those are, are, are happening above uh, the, 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 uh, the, the basement there. And they're coming from core beliefs, whether we realize it or not. But not only does he confront negative thoughts, feelings, actions, he also gives us a taste of the positive thoughts, feelings, and actions that he says are possible in his kingdom. Uh, the Beatitudes themselves, these blessed are the blank that he does at the very introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, um, are things that he says are possible for those who dwell in the kingdom, that we could actually be humble that we could appropriately mourn, that we could be meek and hungry for righteousness, 
Those are good things on those upper floors of our lives. That we can have, instead of destructive anger, we can have genuine love for our enemies. That's a massive shift in our thoughts, feelings, and actions. That we can have authentic spiritual practice. That we can give and pray and fast in secret and no one know it because we love the Father, right? And then he describes a state of being free from anxious hoarding and able to like genuinely be generous with the things that we've been given by God. And instead of judgmentalism, actually having the courage to let others do speck removal out of our eye, this was last week, and for us to courageously help our brothers and sisters do speck removal in their lives. And so these are some of the things that Jesus is talking about in terms of rejecting these toxic behaviors, these toxic thoughts, thoughts, feelings, and actions, and this embracing of these new thoughts, feelings, and actions. And how do you get there, in part, is that you replace the beliefs in the basement. Um, and one of those core beliefs, or probably the, the core belief, is that God the Father is good, and He's powerful, and He's involved. If, if that gets driven down into the basement, everything in the upper floors changes. Thoughts, feelings, actions, all transformed. So there's a sermon, and, we're, and we've, I've really preached that sermon probably 10 times in this series. I'm going to preach it again. And we're just going to see it in a te- different text because Jesus is going to say it again, right? Matthew 7. And if you've got the Bible there on, on your chair or on your phone to, to follow along with me, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is a really provocative statement from Jesus. Um, it's downright dangerous. I mean, there's so many ways we could take these statement, this statement from him and we could twist it into something that might even be destructive. Um, at least in this portion of the scriptures, Jesus doesn't seem to be all that concerned about all the caveats and the footnotes, uh, the ways that we might misuse this statement. Um, I was thinking about this. Like, if you came to my house and you're going to stay overnight, and you're, you know, you're you're going to be on the couch, and you know, the kitchen's right there, and I'm like, I would say, ask me for anything that you need. That's a safe. That's a pretty safe statement. Ask, ask me for anything you need, and I'll get it for you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, just ask. You got to ask? Ask me. You, you got something you're longing for? Seek me. Come on. Ask it. Seek it. Knock. <laughs> Again, it's a very provocative statement. 
And again, Jesus doesn't seem to be too worried that you're going to out-ask him, that you're going to out-seek him, partly because he's God. I have a lot of limitations. So if you come to my house, I'm going to say, tell me what you need, and I'll try my best to meet it. I'm not God. But Jesus is. And so he can say, ask, seek, knock. Now, sure, there's a time to do some further explanation and some framing. And and we read this in places like James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 on the screen there. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think most of us are more comfortable with that, those verses. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of caveats, there's a lot of footnotes. Um, but Jesus, is, he is unapologetic in Matthew chapter 7. You want something? Ask. You long for something? Seek it. And then this knock illustration. I think this is an illustration, right? Knocking is a door illustration. And we've all experienced coming to a closed door. And we want to get through the closed door. We don't have a key. What are we going to do? We could burn it down. We could kick it in. But really, the most, you know, same thing to do <laughs> is knock on it. And someone who's inside the building who has the power to open it can open it. It's a brilliant illustration about prayer. And here we have an obstacle in our life. We have a need we cannot meet. We have a longing we cannot fulfill. We have a, a problem or a mistake that we've made that we cannot make amends for. What are we going to do? Or knock. We're going to knock. We're going to knock at the door of prayer and hope that the one who's on the other side, which is God, is going to open it up. He's going to solve the problem. He's going to, he's going to satisfy the longing. He's going to, he's going to solve the, the, the problem. He's going to mend the mistake that we could have never mend ourselves. And I think for most of us, myself included, our tendency is to try to burn it down, kick it in, and then when we can't, we finally go, okay, God, help me. And Jesus is saying, I want you to move the ask up to the beginning of the process. Ask. Seek. Why don't we ask? I mean, James even addresses that. You have not because you ask not. Why don't you ask? And it's because of our beliefs in the basement about God. That's why we don't ask. There's some different false beliefs that we fall into. So one is God's, he's not, he's not good. He's not good. And therefore, we don't ask. Or he's not powerful or at least he's not going to use that power in my life because he's not good. It comes back to the, is he good, right? 
Is he good? Is he powerful? Is he involved with me? And when we don't believe he's good or powerful or involved with me, we don't ask. We don't ask. Jesus really wants us to believe that he is an all-good, all-powerful, and involved father. We just sang it, right? Good, good father, right? He really wants us to believe that. Not just a mental ascent, not just some emotion that we feel today during our service, but down in the basement, the core of our lives, our very hearts. Now, the way that Jesus frames this is with a parable, which he loves to use parables, and they're really short. They're just about two different children. And so here in verse 9 of Matthew 7, he says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, it's, it's hard for us to get our minds around an infinite God. And because of that, Jesus, with such kindness, will use earthly experiences to illustrate the infinite God. And so this is such a simple illustration of, of a little kid who's hungry. And kids are hungry. They're hungry all the time, right? They get done with dinner, and then 30 minutes later, hey, I'm hungry. And they're asking for food, right? And so uh, even if you don't have children, you've probably been around some kids, and they're asking for food. And then this first story, this little kid asks for bread, which should have been a pretty common staple in first century. And he says, you know, you, your child comes up and says, could I have some bread, Daddy? Would you give the kid a stone? No, you wouldn't. Not if you're a semi-healthy parent. Now, if you're a little sadistic and crazy, you might say, ha here's a stone, you kid. But honestly, even the, the sort of the worst parents on the parent spectrum are going to feed their kid. They're not, they're not going to let their kid starve. Now, I know there's some that do, but for the most part, most parents are going to say, hey, here's some bread. And he's asking for bread. He's not asking for a Twinkie or a Taki, right? He's asking for bread. And, and so it's something good. It's something that is a, is, a, is a need. And so he says, would you give the kid a stone? No, of course not. And the second kid is asking for some fish, which sounds strange to us, but that would be another staple in the first century Galilee would be fish, right? Most, most kids aren't asking for fish. Um, but this is standard. This is staple. And again, this kid's saying, hey, Daddy, could I get some fish? And this one's really s- disturbing. It's like, would you then give the kid a serpent? And that's startling, right? Again, very provocative. Jesus is a very provocative kind of teacher. And I'm sure everyone who's hearing this for the first time, they're like, no, of course not. I wouldn't give my kid a serpent, right? And I hate snakes, so that, that, that has a lot to, of effect on me. Um, and, and so he's, he's kind of got you, right? And you're like, yeah, of course not. I wouldn't give a bad thing when a kid's asking for a good thing. Why would I do that? That's evil. And then the punchline. Well, if you who are evil, you who are 
marred by sin, you who are turned inward to yourself because of sin, if you know how to give good gifts to a kid who asks for good things, how much more? And this is one of Jesus' favorite ways of talking about things that we all know about and then shifting it to talking about God is how much more would your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And He's letting us know He is all good. He is not evil, not, not one bit evil. He is all good. And He is all powerful. He has the capacity to do whatever is being asked for. This is how earthly parents are different, right? We may be good-ish, but we don't, we don't have the power to do everything that is needed for our child. God does. He's all-powerful. And He cares. He is involved with those that are His children, right? He says, um, our, uh, our Father... Right? He gives good gifts to those who ask him. And really, Jesus has been telling us this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, here's, a, here's a lot of examples, right? Um, chapter 516, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, later in chapter 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who per- persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. See what he's doing? He's driving us down to that core belief of the Father that loves us. 548, therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then chapter 6, he's talking about religiosity. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 6 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see how He's driving us down into that core belief of our Father. Um, the Lord's Prayer in 6 9, pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 6 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 6.26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See how he's doing it? Driving us down into those core beliefs. 6.32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's a good Father. He's a good Father, and He's all-powerful, and He is involved Jesus wants us to, to believe that down to the very core of our being. And when we get that driven down into our hearts, problems like anger and lust and hate and hypocrisy and judgmentalism and anxiety and greed and, yes, even prayerlessness get solved. They get solved. New thoughts and feelings and actions start to bubble up from the basement. Old Toxic thoughts and feelings and actions start to get repented from. Now, how can we become convinced of this? Right? It's one thing to say it and read it in the Bible. How can we become convinced that this truly is who God is and who He is in the way He relates 
to me. And so as, as we look at the, at the Gospel of Matthew as a whole, um, what other thing that Jesus is, is doing here is letting us know that our relationship with the Father is contingent on our relationship with Jesus. And here's a couple of examples. As, you, as you're cruising through Matthew and you hit Matthew 10, you read this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, talking about, this is Jesus speaking, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So he's letting us know, like, your relationship with the good and all-powerful involved Father is contingent on your relationship with Jesus. He says it another way in the very next chapter, uh, Matthew 11, and I shared this, I think, in the first sermon uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, all things have been handed over to me, says Jesus, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It's the same kind of teaching. You're not going to know the Father unless you come through Jesus. Now, this becomes very um, prominent as we get to the end of the book. And if you're you're reading Matthew for the first time, you may be just kind of scratching your head like, okay, Jesus, you're some kind of intermediary between me and the Father, and I have to not deny you in order to not be denied by the Father. Like, like what's going on here? And it's just sort of this, this, this nagging question throughout the Gospel of Matthew until we get to some of the, the last chapters. And one of the places where he explains very clearly, this is what I mean when I say that I'm going to be an intermediary, is when he institutes the Last Supper, which we're going to uh, take communion here in a little bit. But this is when he is instituting this for the first time. This is Matthew 26. And he says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it all of it, drink of it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he makes this comment, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my, quote, Father's kingdom. He's letting them know this intermediary work that he's going to do between us and the good Father is going to require him to die. And the very next day after he says these words, that is exactly what happens. He dies on the cross. His body is broken. His blood is spilled out. And he says here what we just read, that's to pay for sin. Because that sin separates us from the Father. And the only way that that could be paid for is for the Son to pay for that sin. And when we receive that by faith, we are reconciled with the Father, the good, all-powerful, and involved Father. And there's no greater way that he displays this goodness and this power and this involvement than in the sending of Christ, his son. It's, it's, it's proof that he will meet our needs because he met our ultimate need. God the Father saw our ultimate need of being forgiven of our sin and reconciled to him, and he did something about it. 
He knew that we had a problem, our ultimate problem that we could not solve. And he did something about it. And he knew we had more than a mistake. We actually had a cosmic crime that we could not pay for. And he made a way for that mistake, that, that sin, that cosmic crime to be paid for. And he met the need, and he solved the problem, and he paid for the consequences of our crime. God is good. God is good. He is powerful, and he's involved. So how do we respond to this? So it depends on if you're a Christian or not. So if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, ask, seek, knock. But not for cars or a spouse. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for him to forgive you of your sin, to save you from the consequences of that sin, to reconcile you with a good father through your faith in Christ. Romans chapter 10, Apostle Paul says this. He's actually quoting Old Testament. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a, it's a crying out. It's an asking. It's a calling. And so this is, this is my encouragement to you. If you're not yet a Christian, or at the very least, begin to explore. Begin to explore. What, what is what's this guy talking about? Is this true? Is this real? And to, and to begin to look at the scriptures for yourselves and to ask questions and to maybe connect with even people here that you know to have those conversations. Ask. Seek. Knock. This is what we just heard. Caleb and Amy asking, seeking, knocking, and the door being opened generously by God to forgive them and give them new life. This is so, so sweet. What if we are, we are a Christian? We've already done that sort of initial ask, seek, knock, right? And it may be that some of you are hearing this and you're like, well, I've already tried to ask, seek, knock, and God doesn't respond. He just doesn't respond to the things I'm asking for. I think the parental framework is very helpful here from Jesus. And he always, almost always, uh, when talking about prayer, he always gives it the parental framework, even in the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching us to pray our Father. And I think this is, this is really helpful because healthy parents who are good, they, they do have power to meet some of the needs and longings of their children. They're going to meet those needs and longings wisely. This may be surprising to you, but sometimes kids ask for serpents. Some ask for real snakes. I don't know why. I, you know, our, our kids never had a snake, and it's a, I don't know if that was because of me or them, but, yeah. but some kids are asking for metaphorical snakes. Like, can I play video games 12 hours a day? Right? And a good, wise parent's like, no, you can't. We're going to have screen time, and then you're going to run around out in the sun and have some fun outside. Right? That's, that's good. Not that, that refusal of a giving to that ask is good and wise. Or can I eat macaroni and cheese, like only, exclusively, every day? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not going to give in to that ask, right? Like, like, it's not wise to do that. That's not good for your child. Or can I skip school, like, every day? No. It's not, it's not, it's not good for you. Uh, it's not good for you. And so wise parents don't always give kids what they want. Um, it's been interesting to experience through Melanie, my wife, um, who's teaching middle school, some of her experiences of the students and the parents of those students. And so 
there, there are a lot of kids that are, you know, really, their behavior's good, and they're, they're really trying hard, and they're learning, but there's also a whole other set of kids that aren't even going to class. They're, like, just hanging out in the hall. Like, they have no interest in education. They talk back to their teachers in ways that would probably have gotten me, like, killed, right? I mean, it's really bad. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the, when the parents are called, there's a couple of different responses. So, so one is they don't, the parents don't answer the phone. They don't call back. They do not email back. They have no interest in their kids. Right? And, that, and that's partly why their kids are doing what they're doing. Parents, they're not good. And they're not using the power they have to love their kids. And they're not involved. Other conversations have been I've done everything I can, and I just don't know what else to do. And so that parent seems to be maybe, maybe good, but not powerful. They don't, have, they don't seem to have any power to do anything. And I'm telling you, God is good, all good. He is all powerful, and he is involved. And so it, it is, uh, I think, a, a powerful, powerful thing that we get to drive down into the beliefs of our, of our basement, right? That, that he loves us and that he is absolutely wise and powerful in the way he gives to asks and the way that he doesn't. And again, back to the James uh, verse, I think that is helpful to understand maybe why God says no to some things, right? James 4, 2, you desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain. So that's kind of like burn the door down, kick the door down. Uh, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. So there's the, I just don't even ask. But then the last part, you ask and do not receive because you are asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. So there, there, again, there's some wisdom there that God uses in what he says yes to and what he says no to. And so sometimes it's because we're asking for something outright sinful. And God, God's not interested in giving us what is outright sinful. Or it could be that the motives underneath the ask are outright sinful. So sometimes we're asking God to give us our idols. We're idolizing something, whether it's a job or an education or a person we want to marry or whatever the thing is. And we're like, God, please, 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 please give me this. And he's like, why, why would I give you your idol? Like, he's not interested in that. Right? So sometimes it's outright sinful. Sometimes it's a good thing that's become a God thing. And there's motives underneath that God can see and maybe we're not even aware of. Sometimes it's timing. It's just a timing thing. It's not now, but it's later. And God is wise. I mean, he, he can see everything all the time. So he knows a lot about timing, obviously. Um, it could be that God has other goals in mind that we can't see. And so in the giving of the ask or the not giving of the ask, he has these other goals that he is going to accomplish. And sometimes those are inward goals, just our own soul and the growth of that and our appetite for him and our love for him and our trust in him. But sometimes it's outward things that he's doing in his providence. Um, I mean, the fact that we're here planting a church, like we were like dead set on going overseas. We're going to go to an international English-speaking church. We're going to Austin for two months. And here we, we went to Austin because we have family here. And then, voila, here we are, planting a church in Austin. 
That was not our intention. I mean, we literally left our stuff in Massachusetts where we lived before because we're not coming to Texas. I mean, come on. So we just left it in, in storage because we're going to take it wherever we're going to go next. But God, in His providence, he, he knew. He knew. And so did He give that ask? No, He didn't. But He had another plan. And so He gave us something that was even, even sweeter. Right? And so there's, there's things that... Um, you know, don't make sense, we can't figure out. But again, that's why this belief that he's a good and powerful and involved father, it's got to be driven right down into the basement of our hearts. And there's things that he, he has definitely given me that I asked for. You know, I asked for a wife when I was in college, and he gave me a beautiful, wonderful, incredible wife who has put up with me over 30 years. Um, he, we asked for children. He gave us children. Uh, We asked him to establish a church in Massachusetts where churches kind of, church planters go to die, you know, and and, and he did. He he established a church, and there's many, many, many asks that he would do that. Um, He's he's paid off debt that we asked that he would make a way that debt would be paid off. Um, At times when we didn't even dream we could own a home, this happened twice, He provided a home for us, and here we are asking for it again as we live in our two-bedroom apartment. Um, We, you know, we asked, uh, we we had vehicle needs that we'd asked for that he met. We had, you know, I had bouts with back pain where I was just debilitated and asking, God, would you restore my back? And and he he did. Um, We've asked God that we'd have baptisms in the first year of our church. Oh, wow, yeah, we did. Yeah, we got some, right? He said yes to that as we've seen three go through the waters of baptism. We, we, we asked, God, would you open up the door for ministry at the University of Texas and that we'd have some crazy college students as part of this church plant? Oh, look, there's a bunch of you here. Um, it's, it's a huge ask that he has said yes to. And there's things that he didn't say yes to, right? Like that overseas assignment, he's like, nope, at least not yet. It's like, no, that's not where you're going. Um, you know, we're asking for a house in the neighborhood so we can be part of this crazy place. He hasn't answered that yet. We're asking that he would reach people in the neighborhood. And maybe one of two of you are visiting today are from the neighborhood. You're, uh, you would be an answer to that prayer. But we really haven't seen folks right around the church neighborhood that have become part of our church. We've prayed that certain relationships be reconciled that are still not reconciled, Right? We've prayed that certain people would become Christians who are not yet Christians. So he hasn't said yes to, to everything. We, you know, I, I mean, even like, you know, he, he restored my back, and, uh, but my knee is not, I can't run anymore, you know? And it's like, God, I want to run. I want to run half marathons and 10Ks and run with my wife. And no, not yet anyway, right? And so, you know, he, he says yes to some things. He says no to other things. He says not yet to other things. Um, but I trust that he's good. I trust that he's powerful. I trust that he's involved. I'm reminded of this every time we come to the table, right? On the night in which uh, Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Talk about the generosity of God. And to 
rebellious children that don't even know what they need, <laughs> but he knew what they need, needed. And so he offered his very self uh, to them. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Again, knowing that our deepest needs for forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God, our Father, and with each other as we live in covenant community. And he knew we needed that. And he met that need. And it truly is the, the longing, the deepest longing that we have, that he is satisfying that longing in the gospel. And so again, those who have not yet um, knocked on the door, I want to encourage you to knock on the door in faith this morning to receive that gift by faith. If you're not there yet, during this time, we're going to ask you to just remain in your seat, pray, think about what you heard, um, because this, this is definitely a time where Christians are professing their belief in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But those of you who are Christ followers, we, we welcome you to the table. Uh, I was listening to this uh, new, new, new music from Christy Knuckles. She's a Christian artist. And there's this line in a song in her new album where she says, with great passion, take a run to the Father. <laughs> and I feel like this, this is what we're doing right here. As we see what God has provided in the Son for our forgiveness and reconciliation, we can take a run to the Father. He's no longer a holy judge. He is our good and powerful and involved Father because that sin has been dealt with. So as those of you that come up uh, to take the bread and the cup, uh, take a run to the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for being so good. There's nothing and no one <laughs> who is all good or all powerful in this world except for you. And it's partly why um, we're gathering here today to worship you, uh, to acknowledge you, to, to receive yet again, maybe for the first time, or just in a fresh way, your love for us. And that you've given that in giving of your son. And so we, we thank you for the bread and the cup, what it means to us, and the relationship that we have uh, through what Christ has done. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.